Hey everybody, this is uh, Jim and Dustin, and welcome back to Fair the Inkwell. Uh, so uh, we've got a, a good pitch for you tonight. I think this is I think this is probably something that that people have thought about, and it's it's I know it's been mentioned in fiction before, but I've got a I, I think I've got kind of a, a interesting take on it, uh, and that is the idea of modern folks today reaching uh, kind of backwards in time through archaeology and uh, you know, like, like trying to understand ancient languages and trying to do, um, history or pseudo history where they're trying to extract some kind of ancient wisdom or ancient knowledge that, that they assume people had two or 3000 years ago that has been lost over time. Sometimes this has a mystical reason, for instance, like if, uh, somebody believes that we, you know, at that time period, people were closer to a deity or something than we are today. And so, you know, that deity had passed on knowledge to people that has now been lost over time as, you know, that connection has been like stretched. <clears throat> However, um, I personally have the take on it that like we know more today than people have ever known in, in all of history. So <laughs> it's kind of, <clears throat> kind of my take on it. Um, and you know, uh, so anyway, so the pitch is basically, what if there is a cataclysmic event today, whether that is a natural disaster, asteroid strike, nuclear war, something wipes out like 90% of the human population, 10% remain, and over the next few hundred years, they start to build civilization back up. You know, like if, you're, if, you, if you have that kind of devastation, then you lose a lot. You lose a lot of expertise in the world. You lose a lot of scientific development, uh, you regress back to a subsistence culture, basically. Um, you know, trade breaks down. You don't have electronic communication, um, it, it, you know, because those systems corrupt over time or... Uh, well, and they're, they're so complex that they're very difficult to rebuild. Yes, that's, that's a very good point. And so uh, in the future, all of this stuff has broken down. People are farmers and stuff. However, they're going through a new, you know, the population is coming back. They're going through a new intellectual renaissance. Archaeology kind of comes back as a science. People start digging into the earth and find our generation, you know? So the, the plastic generation, the oh, that's a good idea. Oh my God. <laughs> that would be the perfect title for this book, the plastic generation. Uh, but anyway, so uh, in it, they start to kind of, do the same thing with us. They think, oh my gosh, these people must have had some kind of ancient knowledge that we didn't possess. You know, like uh, they were able to put platforms in the sky to commune with the stars and look at their weird grave goods, you know, that are full of dump, you know, like in the dump, it's like, like, uh, you know, they, they, they were buried with VCRs and pagers and stuff. It's, right. So, well, and, and how would an archaeologist from the future, looking back on our society, like after that loss of information, how would they interpret a lot of the stuff that is so complex? Like, you know, they wouldn't even be able to necessarily turn on a cell phone. Like they wouldn't maybe not even know how to do that. And so they would get this object that was highly complex in nature and no clue what it does. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, they could study a cell phone for, you know, a hundred years before they figured out how to turn it back on. That's true. And <clears throat> what's interesting too, is if they take it apart, for instance, if they take up, they, they dissect it and they figure out that it's actually full of weird metals that, you know, rare earth metals or gold and silver, which are used in all electronics, you know, like, 
and maybe they maybe they just decide that these things had no value to us because of all the computers and cell phones <laughs> that they find in dumps that are out there. And they're like, people just threw this metal away. Right. Gold didn't matter to them at all. You know? And it was easy for them to get it out of the earth. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was it. Maybe it, this must have been everywhere. It rained from the heavens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be a very interesting story thread to follow is just follow the the, the ignorance up to uh, up to enlightenment, like mm-hmm. so, you, you know, you follow uh, you follow the the story of an archaeologist that's digging through a garbage dump, and you know, uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, and and what if they came across like so? I pick up after my dogs, and I put it in a plastic bag, and I throw it away. <laughs> well, what if like they're going to come across a lot of that? So what are they going to think <laughs> about that? Like. Yeah, there's animal waste in these plastic bags. And, you know, it is very likely that those plastic bags will not biodegrade in mm-hmm. a in a dump. Like, that's going to be there 10,000 years from now. Like, yep. the, the, the biological material inside will be a different, but the plastic will be there. Um, I think the only logical conclusion is that you worshipped the poop god. <laughs> that, you know, that was an offering to the right, poop god. Right, right, right. That but, everybody had to make. You but know? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that they, like, actually, Futurama brings up a good point. Like, at one point, um, they're they're threatened by a big garbage ball from the sky, mm. and they and Fry tries to teach people how to make garbage because they don't know the they don't have the concept of throwing something away. Like everything mm. in the future is recycled. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they play it off for laughs because they're like, that sandwich you made is made from old discarded sandwiches. Like, you know, like, <laughs> but, but so what if in the future they really don't have a concept of garbage the way mm-hmm. we do? Like, so, you know, well, they're living in a way. So, so they come up across this pile of, of waste that's, that's refuse. And they wonder why it's there. Like what? And they're, they're kind of everywhere. They would discover one and then they would discover another and then another. And they, then they would know what to look for and they'd find them all over the place. And Mm -hmm. it's just like, what are they doing with all this stuff? (laughs) I can see that because like, if you had some kind of cataclysmic event that has just devastated the human population, your ability to manufacture things is destroyed. Your ability to mine for materials is destroyed. It's going to require, people rediscovering that expertise, right? And so they would preserve, or you could see a, a situation where society would try to preserve everything that they had right. uh, and not well, have waste. So and, and an interesting idea just occurs to me, that would generate, so depending on the nature of the catastrophe, um, there's potential to generate a huge power gap and dynamic between people because so the the person that walks into an abandoned factory that Mm. has the raw material like the raw capability of making something um and they figure out how to use it they're going to be at like such a great advantage compared to all the farmers out in the field Mm -hmm. that and then they're going to want to protect that like there would be a huge political upheaval too like and a lot of really like Potential for really, uh, you know, like uh, dictator type leaders that would show up and be like, no, I'm the only one that knows how to run this factory. Like, and all because I can produce this, these goods, you are all my slaves or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or there's the beneficent, beneficent, um, leader that comes (laughs) across it and, and the same thing, but they give it to their people. They're like, I found this thing that will greatly aid our 
town. And then there they turn into this metropolis while everybody else is stuck in farming or like almost even stone age technology. And they're like, because the technology, you know, if there was a cataclysm, not everything would be lost. Mm -hmm. And so just depending on what was discovered when and by whom, like that would change the nature of everything they did. Yeah. You know what? Like as you were as you were talking through that, like you were, you were talking about somebody entering into a factory and rediscovering what it was for and how to use it again. What got me was thinking about okay, so one of the key things that powers a factory is electricity, and they wouldn't necessarily know that. I mean, they might understand, they might see lightning in the sky and stuff. So let's say that it's you know again, society has regressed right to to an agrarian society. So. Uh, what if they're, they're like trying to figure out like, well, there are these massive hoses, steel hoses that, that run everywhere. We think that, you know, like something right. like this is how it worked, but they trace all that back and they find a giant sign with lightning bolts on it, you know? <laughs> so right. they're like, oh, obviously we have well, to pray to the lightning God to, to make this work. <laughs> potentially, but also think about like the libraries that would exist that would go mm. undiscovered because yeah, aside from all the like – stories mm -hmm. that would be in the library. There's the reference mm -hmm. sections and anybody that had a mind to could rediscover this technology provided that library hadn't disintegrated. That's absolutely right. Like, like, so again, knowledge would be power in a very, very visceral way. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and throughout history, like I mean, all the way up, all the way up, in human history, all the way up to the modern era where we have the digital age, right. information was stored in a library. You know, and that's and whoever controlled the library controlled the information. So that's that's so, actually a really good point. So it occurs to me a, a, a really good story surrounding this is you have the archaeologist character that's doing the, the base research because they're interested in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But then you have the politics side of it where one person finds a factory and one person finds a library and they're, they're kind of trying to play off of each other and be like. Yeah. <laughs> give me information to run my factory and I'll, you know, I'll make your life easier. It's like, yeah. you know, give me some of your goods from your factory and I'll, I'll share my knowledge. And, you know, you could make it so there's distrust among people and then it would make this really interesting, you know, power dynamic. And, uh, yeah, that it would be yeah, really you, fascinating. You could see a, a rise of new social classes like scholars and, 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 I mean, you could, with this story, you could actually explore that rise. Right. It's in maybe parallel to history, but in a different way than history did it. Well, know? and also the, the technological renaissance could occur within a single human lifetime in mm -hmm. the right setting. Like now, you know, we think of like, uh, you know, ancient Egypt, if catastrophe happened, like they lost a lot of, like, we don't, mm -hmm truly understand their stone cutting technology, but at the right. same time we have some ideas um, and we can do it. It's, it's not fun, but we can do it. Uh, so like that, that was a small, relatively like relatively like spanning the world. That was a very small section of the world, but we have a global civilization now mm -hmm. and there are libraries everywhere. There are, factories and there are like all of the stuff that we use to to got, get where we are now exists all over the world and so the discoveries could happen a lot faster like and and provided that the spoken language or the language didn't deteriorate beyond the point of understanding english which even then you could pick up a book you'd have a dictionary you'd have encyclopedias you have all these things with pictures and you could start to, to reassemble the language really fast mm -hmm. 
and then reassemble the knowledge really fast. And so the, the, the shift in politics and the shift in the haves and have nots, it has the potential to be either super great or they look at the history and they're like, no, these guys were messed up. We're not following in their footsteps. Like, That's what are they thinking? Like where some people have everything and only a few people like, yeah, anyway. You know what? That's a very true point. And I actually think about this a lot, how the being a historian, like all the different types of government that have existed throughout history, you know, you've got despots, you've got like kings and, and aristocracy, and you, you've got like um, uh, theocracy, theocracy, you've got democracy, you've got communism, right? And for the most part, like, like democracy is brand new to human history. Like we've never done that before. Like, right. like it's not like, I mean, you could, you could, you could call, uh, you know, Greek or Greece, a democracy it is the birthplace of what we think of as the birthplace of Western democracy. But the way they did it, it's not the same way we do it. They're really not comparable, you know, probably the closest thing that we have to a historic example of our modern democracy were were pirate republics, you know, <laughs> they, they were probably the closest thing to an actual democracy that, that we have today. But like we as Americans, let me, let me, let me preface this. We <laughs> as Americans, we are absolutely convinced our way is superior to everything throughout the history. Way, absolutely best way. And throughout the world today, we're constantly fed this information in, you know, in media in books and magazines and fiction and nonfiction, everything. It's always like iterated and reiterated. I don't necessarily think that's wrong, uh, you know, uh, but I will say that it's never been done before in human history and we, most of the rest of the world doesn't do it now. You know? <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, uh, what if like, what if this rediscovery of like historic information in the library or whatever leads to like a revolution against, uh, you know, maybe that's the ancient knowledge is democracy. There's democracy. Maybe that's it. Maybe they rediscover democracy and they're like, oh, these people who lived before, they had they had the secrets. They really knew what to do, how to make decisions and how to take care of people. Right. Uh, except for healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't have that. They didn't have that one. No. <laughs> so at least not us, but you know, maybe maybe those some a couple of those other democracies out there, they do. But um, <laughs> um but yeah, I mean like, like that kind of ancient knowledge maybe maybe you know maybe we're thinking about this too scientifically maybe it's really just like theory and concept right that that uh, is is what gets them by well, what do we look for today we look for ways that people lived an easier life lived a less stress stressful life lived uh, a more magical or adventurous well, life you well, know we, like, we look for technological innovation rather yeah. than I mean, there's, you know, that's, that's the focus anyway. There's, you know, all the other studies of the linguistic evolution, the, you know, the, the religious evolution and all that too. Mm -hmm. What I, what I think would be the most fascinating aspect about this particular type of story is because depending on the nature of the catastrophe, the, the Renaissance and the return to, you know, the, or the rediscovery of what we have now could happen in as little as 10 years, or it could take mm -hmm. Thousands of years, depending on, you know, like if you had, uh, you know, say the super volcano went off and it caused the, the new nuclear winter sort of thing. And, um, you know, the earth was a frozen snowball for another millennia after that. It's like, well, that would be hard to recover from because the environment like ice is not necessarily conducive, conducive to archaeology oh, or right. survival. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's true. um, yeah. 
or if the if it was a catastrophe where like it was a gamma ray burst and mm-hmm. it burned burned off half the planet and yeah. then like you know what what would the consequences of that be and what would life be like afterwards mm-hmm. so i think there's a lot of really interesting um thought exploration that could happen with this this idea i do too I will say it, it just now, as we're talking, occurred to me that this actually has been done before. What we're really talking about here could be construed as Planet of the Apes without the apes. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's like, yeah, but you they, did it, you right. bastard, jerks, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, that is an interesting idea. I, I actually haven't seen Planet of the Apes in such a long time that I don't remember the entire premise of it. Aside from, you know, there was a civilization fall and then the apes rose up next as the next intelligent species. And actually, that that also begs a good question. If humanity is reset to like 1% of the population that we have Mm. now, Mm. will we still be the next intelligent civilization to arise? Because maybe because like the the warmer coastal waters are a more suitable environment for smart life. Like, like, like say it was a a nuclear winter and the the earth was frozen for us. Then life around the equator in the water would have an advantage over anything on land. And so maybe the octopus comes as the next intelligent species. Oh yeah. That's a good point. Well, and then I think, this touches on another interesting topic. And did we talk about this in one of our previous podcasts where um, if intelligence arises within the ocean, then the mm-hmm. ocean itself, the water itself becomes a barrier to technological progress. Mm-hmm. So it would also be a really like you could have like Stone Age octopus out on the land, like <laughs> in these weird bubble suits like, attacking <laughs> You know, yep. tribes tribes of humans that are that are survivors from the catastrophe. Like they, they, it, you could do so many interesting things with it. Mm-hmm. That's true because, like, so much of our technology, if you go back far enough, originated with heat and and and, and energy fire as an energy source. You know, so but also, like, I will say that one of the interesting features of modern society and the modern world is that we have this genet- genetic uh, kind of homogeneity now that that. Is, is we're in the beginning stages of where all of humanity is like our genetic diversity is becoming less. Right. Our linguistic diversity is becoming less. We're actually becoming a lot more homogenized as a planet. People are learning languages and stuff. And those languages are almost stopped evolving because of that. Like take English. English <laughs> adds new words every year. Don't get me wrong. You know, we add like thousands of new words every year. However, those words are very quickly picked up by other non-native uh, English speakers who speak English as a second language. And uh, so, so like we don't, we, we have British English, we have American English. I would hesitate. Well, not hesitate. I would actually even say we have Canadian English, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> it's, uh, but like the differences between them are so slight that it, they're, they're really hardly right. anything new. Right. And, and, and so, but if you go back to that time period, if you, you know, like people are scattered around most, their connectivity between cultures is, has lost itself. Do you start to evolve again? Like, do you, like, do you have groups of people who are evolving one direction and another group of people evolving in a different direction again? Maybe some people's eyes get a little bit bigger. So you end up up like a, like the time machine where you have the 
the Morlocks and then the oh, other people. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> see, all this has been done before. We're stealing old ideas and making them new. That's yeah, what we do. I, I think though, like you could, you could, you could do a lot better than that. Like you could, you could say the genetic drift happens in populations all over the globe, and so you end up with people that were more that have more Neanderthal DNA, and so they end up like getting that heavy brow because they're mm-hmm. chewing fibrous plants because that's their sustenance or, or, you know, like some other environmental pressure causes human evolution and, you know, and the isolation continues long enough for that to be a a breakaway genetic, uh, you know, group. You know, where, 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 where we still see this though is you, because you are quite tall for people (laughs) who cannot see you who are online. You are tall and like you, you are definitely a Viking. (laughs) <laughs> um, 100%. Uh, and so, uh, and so you come from Viking stock and people from that area are massive people, you know, like, like, like I, when I lived in, when I lived in Europe, man, and anytime that I was at uh, a party or something that was more populated with people from Iceland and Scandinavia and Norway and that kind of stuff, I was, I, I'm five foot 10. I'm the exact American average height. <laughs> I was the little guy. Right. I was the shortest guy in the room. I had people offering, like, I had grown women coming up to me offering if they, you know, would you like me to pick you up and carry you around? You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, it's, uh, so maybe that's, maybe that's, like, some people, like, we get that back. Like, suddenly we've got some, some right. people who are just, like, routinely seven and a half feet tall. Right. You know? <laughs> it's like, well, and again, it could, it could just be down to environmental pressures. Mm-hmm. Well, and you actually bring up an interesting point that I've, I've thought about. Like, you know, we have the idea of giants from the past. Oh, yeah. If the global average height was shorter than it is now, and then there existed people that were of, like, basketball player stature, like seven foot or mm-hmm. so, you know, seven foot is not a bad height for survivability. Like, you know, we've seen like the world's biggest guy, like mm. he starts to have joint problems and all that, but at seven feet tall, it's still, you're still fine. Um, and if you're four feet tall and you come across somebody that's seven feet tall, the, the, that's going to be so striking that you're going to call them a giant, mm-hmm. you know? And then just based on the sheer physics, they have the me- mechanical advantage and muscle mass to move larger objects than you do. And so maybe that's where the idea of giants comes from is just people were shorter and then some people were huge. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, you know what? You're probably onto something there because I can say like uh, I did my capstone, my capstone course in the history of the Crusades. Mm -hmm. And during the very first crusade, you've got all of these like Norman French guys who were formerly Vikings that moved down and, and, you know, they were given like this, the, the, the duchy of Norway uh, or Normandy, I'm sorry, the Duchy of Normandy, <laughs> yeah, to to occupy. So all these all these Vikings came into France and stuff, and they you know like married French women, and then suddenly you got a bunch of really big like French dudes. So during the First <laughs> Crusade, all these guys from Normandy, and I and you know as consequence because of connection to England and stuff, also British guys who were also quite large at the time, like going over to uh, the Byzantine Empire to Constantinople. In order to participate in the first crusade. And the first thing they thought, these are the, this is the Eastern Roman Empire. In every one of their journals, in every one, uh, they talk about how small they are, how small these people are who live in the Eastern Roman Empire. That's interesting. And, and the, the Norman French just towered over them. They had these big, broad shoulders right. and they, they wore massive armor, you know, and the, 
the the uh, Eastern Romans uh, in Constantinople tend to wear more elegant armor, almost what we would think of in a fantasy setting that elves right, would wear. Right. You know, like they wore more elegant armor. It was better crafted and better designed. You know, the stuff from England and and, and Europe was all more crude, just bulky and protective. exactly. <laughs> but, but you know, it also like like these guys were just massive dudes, and they literally thought like, wow, these these. People are like children, you know, just based on their size, not really, right. you know, you had a lot of uneducated folks back then, obviously, who right, just, right. you know, they didn't, yeah, so they, they would see somebody who was just five foot six and think, holy crap, that's a kid, you know, and, and it's, I don't know, but anyway, so so I think we're, we're getting off topic here, we're Absolutely. probably diversion, we could probably wrap it up at this point. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know. It's a it's an interesting trope to follow the loss the the loss of great information like and and connectivity mm-hmm. and then rediscovery of that like that's a it's a fascinating trope to follow so I think so too yeah. so if any of you out there have any ideas about writing a story like that we would love to uh, you know have you write it and then if if you do so get in touch with us and let us know we'd love to talk to you about it that's right okay. So until then, fare the ink well. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.